Ayers on the Road, value-based parenting and life balance ideas from world-traveling family coaches. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. And we're back with Ayers on the Road. It's another week. Another week and another beautiful summer day and still struggling through this coronavirus. In fact, in some ways, it's getting more and more worrisome, but... But we have new masks. We have new masks. <laughs> we had some new masks today. and boy, It's the oh most boy, exciting thing that's happened in the last week. <laughs> we're going to be together with a lot of our family at a reunion, which we really had to think about hard whether to hold it. But boy, we've got some rules, don't we? We do, and there's a couple of our European families are not coming. They just yeah, couldn't Yeah, they see just couldn't. Quarantining two weeks here, and then five days at the reunion, then quarantining two weeks when they go back. So they're having their own little reunion in southern France, the poor dears. But we're going to be outside most of the time, six-foot distance, and we've got this little fist bump thing where the length of my arm and the length of a kid's arm, that's how close... We can get, unless we're outside, and then they can run over and hug us on the legs and then run away. Yeah. <laughs> because Honestly. maybe they're carrying it. What a deal. When are we going to get past this, Linda? I just have no idea. It's getting more and more complicated. I am kind of excited about, well, I guess we'll talk a bit more about this later, but we, I did order face shields. Oh, face shields. For the picture. That's right. And I'm instead not sure of t-shirts how many of for them the will. Reunion. Yeah, instead of t-shirts, <laughs> we're doing face shields. And it, they're made in China, so if you don't know what they are, it says face shields right across the right. top. <laughs> it's going to make a great family picture. Linda, when I say the word poetry, what do you think of? What's the, let's play word association. I say poetry and you say? Relaxation. Oh, good. <laughs> Well, some of you may say, what would poet, well, let me ask it to you. What, what in the world could poetry have to do with parenting? I mean, they sound good together, poetry and parenting. There's a little alliteration right there, but what could, what could they have in common? Well, Why are they related? They're related to everything, but of course, we need, parent, we need poems in parenting to be able to relax. There you go. Well, do you remember the time we hired a poet to come to our house and teach our kids and some other kids in the neighborhood how to write poems? That oh, was, was a little so dicey. I, we, we had no idea how that would go. We just invited some neighborhood kids, and I don't know how we found this person, but she was perfect. She taught those kids how to do poems, and actually they did them, and we bound them and put them in a little book or a little pamphlet at the end and they are magnificent poems well and, the, and what we realized is well while she was what she was really teaching them is how to see how to observe how to be more aware and then how to put those those awarenesses those observations in, in into poetry but we are lovers of poetry and we think that in fact we finally decided we better Put some poems in a book, and so we did. Not we, you. <laughs> well, you wrote these poems. I did not write any of them. Well, poems we, just come to Richard's mind. They just flow through him, and it's amazing. It just it's part of him. Actually, has some very prolific um, people in his family. An aunt who was one of the top ten poets in New York City for a while, and. And it must be in the genes. Well, I remember when I was a little boy, one time, Mae Swenson, my aunt, who was a really noted American poet, 
took me outside. I must, I bet I wasn't six or seven years old. And she said, look, and she pointed right at the tree and said, what do you see? And I said, well, I see a tree. <laughs> she said, yeah, but look, look harder and make a long story short. She taught me to see patterns in the bark. She taught me to see colors, how, how the limbs and how the leaves related to each other. She taught me to, she taught me to, to notice the wind and what it did to the leaves on this aspen tree. And I've never forgotten that, that poetry is all about seeing. And, and with children, poetry gets them outside themselves. Poetry stops them from, especially adolescents who are so wrapped up in thinking of themselves, it gets them outside of themselves. And we, we just love poetry. And so we do have a book that is called Poems About Family and Favorites. And we're not going to share the favorites part very much today, but we want to share some poems about family because how do you capture the emotion that you feel in a family? How do you capture the love you have for your children? Sometimes prose or words or just saying it doesn't reach that emotional level. We watched Hamilton last night, which is a form of poetry. The the Broadway show of it Hamilton on, on absolutely, uh, and 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 so much of that rap music. But but the, 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 he was able. Someone told us that there's if you were to say the words in Hamilton, just in normal talking, it would take seven hours. Right, the day four hundred words a minute or something like that. It just go by so fast, and and you can say things faster in poetry. Poetry is an economy of words, and you get down to the essence of things, right? Yeah, I I hope you didn't just hang up when you said we're going to talk about poetry because there are just so many wonderful things about poetry. And don't worry, these are not rhyming. Although I do have to say that Richard Some of them are. Some of them are. Oh, are they? I missed that. (laughs) Anyway, um, but he is very good at rhyming because when our kids were late for school or need an excuse for some reason that oh my notes gone, to the teachers were always used to write rhymed. notes to the teachers That's poems right. to the teachers I'm glad you remember they that. remember that they we just want remind us we want to read you a few today linda's a fantastic poet herself and a, and a great reader of poetry we want to share some of the emotion that poetry can bring that we want to feel in our families. But first there's this introductory poem. What happened was after 50 books, I got tired of writing prose or maybe I just wanted to change or I got put off by the potential prescriptiveness in prose. Or perhaps I was humbled or right brain tugged toward wanting to observe more than to teach. Whatever it was, I turned 70 and I started anew. Prose to poetry is not a little shift in style. It is a 180. You don't write poems. You capture them. You don't create them. You can't even look for them. They come to you, as Pablo Neruda said, and it was at this age poetry arrived in search of me. I love that. Oh, Pablo Neruda. I remember at Talmadge's wedding he read uh, Pablo Neruda poem. He's fabulous. So this one's called Two Ways. There are two ways of writing. Prose to explain, poetry to feel. There are two ways of thinking, left brain logic and right brain intuition. There are two ways of knowing, senses and the empirical and spirit and the inspirational. 
There are two ways of doing physical force and mental fashioning. There are two ways of building mechanical technology and organic cords. There are two ways of creating work and plan and watch and pray. Perhaps we come here into mortality to learn the firsts so that we can appreciate and gradually gravitate toward the seconds. Wow, how do you think of that stuff? I mean, I've written poems, but usually in desperation. When <laughs> no, you've written... When I've had it with the kids. Oh, and I'm not going to take that. You're fantastic. But read this one, Linda, on family. The key reason for earth life, the greatest of all joy sources, the eternal priority, the area in which, if success is attained, failure in all other areas, is immaterial. The key prerequisites for the progress of patience, the source of true confidence, the supreme stewardship, the deepest responsibility, the petri dish of real love, the training ground for eternity, the ultimate challenge, the center point, the hub of all true religion, the basic unit of society, of culture, of economy, of civilization, the stirring, sacrificing substitute for the exhaustion of meanness, the marvelous maze through which comes peace, the extreme sport of ultimate emotional adventure, the door out of the dungeon of self. That's, Ooh, that's, that's good. That's what family is. That's what it is. Oh, I love the marvelous maze through which peace comes. Man, it's true. Man, it's so hard. The extreme sport of ultimate emotional adventure. Well... <laughs> Fam family is what gets us out of the door of the dungeon itself. I should have, I should have put that on the front of the <clears throat> I didn't plan to be a witch book. <laughs> How about this one? This is about a new baby, and you'll all identify with this because we all have watched these little brand new spirits, and it's entitled New. They say if you slow-mo the jerky hand jabs, they look graceful. They feel new air. They reach unconsciously for where they used to be. They are two weeks out of the womb. They say it's the newborn's helplessness that attracts. They look new, almost alien, yet they are the most perfect of our species. And they make us new again, these new ones. They depend on us for diapers, dinner, and direction, but they teach us too and they give us more than they take. Ah, so true. I love babies, they're my favorite. Well, I like them all, but honestly, babies are so wonderful. Here's, there's a little series here on some spiritual moments with children in England. Let's, let's read a couple of these, Linda. Christmas with a British four and a half year old. <clears throat> Did you write this when Saren was four? Yeah. All right. Saren, whose birthday it is on Christmas. No, it's a question. Oh, Saren, whose birthday <laughs> is it on Christmas? That's better. Well, Jesus is, of course. Right. And why did Jesus come? To teach us how to be nice and to show us how it will work when we die. Okay. Very good. Did he do anything else? Well... He set up a proper church. Yes, he did. And what happened to that church after he was gone? I think it got a bit muddled. 
So what did he do about that? Well, after a while, he came back down here and put it right. <laughs> <laughs> Children sometimes speak in poetry without knowing it because they get to the essence of things. Um, here's one when, when she was seven. Seven years entitled Seven-Year-Old Bedtime. Dad, when you were little, did you ever wonder about things? I sure did, Saren, a lot. What do you wonder about? Well, every once in a while, I wonder if there really is a Heavenly Father. Restraining the urge to jump in and reassure, I see. But then, it ha then what happens to me is, I just think quietly for a minute and I say a little prayer and then I know a big hug. Saren, that's exactly what happens to me. It seems funny to ask him if he really is, but he's really the best one to ask. And he does tell me, I know he does. And sometimes I just look at the trees and the flowers and I know. <laughs> Oh, oh wow! Little I, kids. I capture those little Grammy date moments when they say cute things, but I don't know how to put it in poetry like that. It's amazing. Let's read one more, and then let's take a little break, and we're going to just keep thinking about poetry. This this has happened to all of you as parents. It's called taking inventory. Long day, home late, tired, down. Children asleep, house quiet, dark, except moonlight. Don't disturb, Linda. Instead, a peek into each bedroom, an inventory of slumber. Two-year-old smiling, a doll under a tiny arm, a happy dream. Enhance it with a soft cheek kiss. On to the five-year-old, uncovered as usual, sprawled in total submission to sleep, the, mis the mischief fire dimmed to a pilot light. In the next bed, curled around his basketball, the nine-year-old snoring through another dream game. Across the hall, a different world. Girls, smells different, and lace everywhere. One completely buried in down comfort or luxury, the other face up, golden curls limp across her cheek, angelic and pure. Each glimpse tugs my soul strings, each sigh tightens my throat, each touch of my lips to soft silken cheek reminds my heart that here lies wealth, here lies joy. Let's take a brief break. We'll come back and do some more poems about the beauty and emotion of families. Be right back. Hang on. Welcome back to Ayers on the Road. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. And we're back talking about poetry today. Um, don't don't turn out don't turn off because we have some fun things for you to think about. What I love about poetry is that it just makes you think in a different way. And yeah, that's a good point. That's what it's supposed to do. And when you hear something that's beautiful, you just go, ah. Oh, Yes, that is exactly how I feel. I think it is such a beautiful way to communicate. Here's a poem about an experience we had, and let's let's just you read it, Linda, and see if it tells the story or if we have to elaborate on it after you're done. Oh man. You want to read this whole thing? Well, let's see. It's quite a story. <laughs> 
If you lose your job, you feel despair, perhaps, and maybe bitterness or worry, even fear. The same or worse if you lose a home by finance or by fire. But you have you ever lost a child, even for a few hours, and the thought and thought the unthinkable? You find emotions you don't know you had. Your prayer is more than prayer. Commitments, you mean them, flow. Our seemingly eternal fear lasted 150 minutes of searching the neighborhood with the neighbors in the rain, looking for a tow-headed four-year-old with a red sweater and no coat. Those two-year-old sister, whose two-year-old sister says he went out the front door. The natural explanations sleep in some unlikely place over at a friend's or are some are soon eliminated. Irrigation gives way to fear. Irritation gives way to fear. To let's keep calm analysis and then to panic. Police are called and come. More neighbors joined. We've searched the streets, the sheds, every bush for a mile. He wouldn't run off anyway. The unthinkable thought comes again. Then sagging, sighing relief. His six-year-old finds him by sitting on him. Completely under the big, loose beanbag chair. Sound, sound asleep. He's still groggy now and not sure why everyone, even a neighbor he's never met, is laughing and hugging him and saying what a fine boy he is. A little later, when it's just family, tears inside and out, a little quiet time holding each other, talking about being scared. Deep breath smiles every once in a while. Who cares what else happens? Josh is back. Thanks. Thank God. That was quite an experience. We thought we thought Josh had been kidnapped. And the only way I could think of to say it was in a poem. And it really was one of those moments where, I mean, we were looking in the dryer, we were looking in the freezer, we were, we were looking everywhere, and the neighbors were all so alarmed and amazing. And it was a long time before we found that little guy. Well, we're going to challenge you parents to do today, and you grandparents, is to try to write some poems about the feelings you have in your family. Now, you may say, oh, I'm not a poet, I, I'd be insecure, I wouldn't want anyone to see it. No one has to see it. I think the most important poems are actually private poems where you're just trying to capture in your own mind a feeling that you had. Uh, here's one that I did about, we have nine children as many of you know, and this is called Nine Lives. Is it okay for their fulfillments to spiral up, gaining inertia and energy and becoming my fulfillment? better than pride certainly and it answers every parent's prayer Saren organizing and ordering her own motherhood Shani pushing the envelope of love and generosity Josh choosing a thousand kids over a handful Sadie bringing the intellectual together with the agrarian Jonah discovering new green hippiedom Tal Contributing in unusual European ways. Noah, new improved vision of world shaping. Eli, finding peace and style and vibrant cityscape. Charity, dripping with world wonder. Nine lives, each extraordinary, each unique, each a fulfillment. 
admiring each other without envy, secure both in the collective and the individual, waxing as I wane, and giving me the vicarious fulfillment that dwarfs my own. You wouldn't understand some of that, but that's the point. I was writing what I'm feeling about each of them. And well, it, and these are grown-up kids now. I mean, we started with babies, and um, there are so many interesting things that happen as they grow up. Boy, there sure are. And again, um, think about writing poetry mainly for yourself, mainly so that you can feel things as they go by so fast. This is one called Living Life Backwards. Work now, retire later. That makes little sense in the realities of today's demography and longevity. I worked as a college kid in the Honolulu airport. I watched creaky couples about to enjoy themselves for the first time. We're finally here, croaked Grandpa. Kids grown and gone, nothing else to do. But now they are minus some of their capacity and all of those they wish they could enjoy it with. It begs the question, why not retire for a while now? Health still here and children, golden time, that will never come again. Maybe the time for total devotion to work comes at the very time most people retire. Live life backwards from the norm. Two ways to be financially independent. One, unlimited money. Two, limited needs. One son chose the second, worked and saved for a period, simplified, then bailed out. Just small cash maintenance, little jobs, leaving most of his time for his wife and his children, for relationships. Less comforts, less status, less image. He enjoys each of the less, preferring his own approach to that of the world. Equally logical and countercultural our daughters who see the biologic illogic of aggressive career until 40 and then have a child. Go backwards, babies now, and stay home, raise them, and still have 30 more years for a career. <laughs> well, everybody's individual. You have to do what you need to do, but um, just we have to mention a bit about Jonah who... Um, all of our kids envy because he lives such an amazing lifestyle which he has crafted himself which is very unusual he lives in Hawaii on about $300 a month for food for five children because he knows how to barter he knows how to he has a fridge full of meat and freezer full of vegetables and it's crazy avocados fall off the trees the kids get them on the way to school bring them home for the after school snack I mean, he's run a car on vegetable oil for about 500,000 miles now. And it's, it's so fun and entertaining to watch. And our kids all say, oh, what a poetic life. I wish I want to be that way. I want to do that. But none of them really want to do what it takes to make that happen. Yeah, so you write sometimes a poem about just something you admire in someone else. Especially a child. The second part of this book of poems is we move a little away from family, but not really, because they're on favorites, favorite things, favorite experiences, favorite places, favorite moments, favorite insights. And then I'm going to embarrass Linda and end with a couple of love poems today, oh, whether you goodness. like it or not. But think about this for a minute. 
This is called the six gifts of mortality. Assume for a moment we didn't start here. Body did, but not spirit. Journeyed here from another place, more ethereal, less material. Came here sent by spirit parents, like leaving for college to learn the joy of the physical. Imagine they wanted us to discover and explore the five gifts that they had and we didn't. Things, experiences, places, moments, and insights. And knew we could do it best from far away from their perfection. Down here, we came into the dirt and the doubt and the decisions of new. Oh, and a sixth gift, maybe the biggest, the chance to be what only they had been, parents. Love of the highest order. What if the deja vu is not an illusion? What if we really know each other? Really were there before we were here? Really were with them before we are here with their six gifts? So wow. there's a little section on each of those gifts. And I want to read you a poem. I want to see if you have any ideas. Some of you who are a little older, you may figure out who I'm talking about here. And I'll tell you at the end. And this is called, It's Relaxing to be Humble and Exhausting to be Proud. <laughs> I saw an important man, the center of attention, watched, looked to, deferred to, earnest, trying to live up to it all. Others giving him answers he wanted to hear but couldn't trust. Weight of the world on him, people depending on him hiding his secret fear of failure, of letting people down, burying it beneath his energy, always stoking up his can-do attitude. He looked exhausted, the exhaustion of proving himself over and over again. I saw another man, smaller, humbler, happier, whistling, in fact. Somehow his load was light, though he led a church. He'd learned not only to believe in, but depend on a higher power. So he was a mere messenger, a stewardship servant, full of love, but without pressure, a simple can't-do attitude, with a footnote, but he can, God can. He looked relaxed, even refreshed, the escape of knowing it wasn't about him. <laughs> yeah, that's... That's wonderful. That's a poem about Spencer W. Kimball, who was the prophet when we were on our mission in England and who... The prophet of our church, Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. He was amazing. He, he was so relaxed. And when I asked him one day how he could be so relaxed, he said, because it's not on me. I'm just, I'm just a <laughs> servant. I'm just a mouthpiece. And he, one day that we were with him, he gave four speeches in one day. And I said... How can you prepare all that? Oh, I don't. He said, I just open my mouth and the Lord talks through it. Now, we are not all prophets, but we can adapt that kind of dependency on something bigger than ourselves. Here's one called The Sin. The Sin. Sometimes thankfulness is easier to feel in singular isolation because public profusion like flowers covering an alpine meadow overwhelms us. Individual blooms go unnoticed, apathetically assumed. 
while a single desert cactus flower stark against the sand stands out like vivid and indelibly perfect, searingly beautiful. The abundance of our rich lives, forests of flavor, vast fields of the friendlier familiar, creates a sensory overload of diminishing return, the dampening, dulling oblivion of routine entitlement. Seeing suffers, noticing neglected, emotion ebbs, and the glorious gift of gratitude gradually gives away to the sin of taking for granted. A counterintuitive conundrum, too much to love? Consider the unlimited bandwidth of the heart when connected to the cloud of the spirit. I think we're going to end with that, and I'm going to save the love poem for next week, Linda. We're going to open next week's show with one love poem to Linda, which I love to do because it'll embarrass her so much. But let's end on that last poem. And it ties right into what we're trying to say. There is a sin in taking things for granted. You know, we were with a family that had lost one of their children, and and I I thought to myself, if only the emotion, the depth of emotion they feel in loss, if only we had that great emotion in the power of still having our children. The reason to write poetry is to capture emotion and to focus on it before it slides away. So we wish you the very best with your poetry this week. We hope you'll do it. Join us again next time on Ayers on the Road. See you then.